All right. Well, nice of you to be here today. I am delighted to serve with you today and spend these precious moments talking about children. Amen. <laughs> All right. And uh, some of you have younger children. Some of you have older children. Some of you have children who are uh, outside of your family. And uh, I want you to know that our discussion is not limited to biological children. We have several boys in our church who do not have fathers. And we, I'll look them in, I'll look one, we're going to be your father. Mm. We're your father. Yeah. Right here in this church. That boy almost started crying. Mm. He never had anybody talk to him like that. And let him know, we'll be your father. He wants to know who his dad is. He wants to, his dad is alive. His dad doesn't live that far from him. But his dad doesn't want to have anything to do with him. So we're his father. And he just cried. And I invite him to the house and do things with him. That's what we do. So what we're talking about today extends out of your home. You know why? Because we're doing life together. We're family. If you just read about the body figure of Christ, I don't have time to unpack all that, but we're family. You may not like me after this seminar, but we are still going to heaven together, and you're going to always be my brother. Yeah. Forever, forever. Yeah. You remember the boys used to be singing a song, forever, you know, the gangsters. I, mean, I said, look, there is no gangster heaven. That's right. There's a heaven for people who have given their hearts to Jesus, and that's who's going to that place. And it'll be ex-gangsters there, and ex-liars, and ex-cheaters, and a whole bunch of ex-somethings, which we all are, will be in heaven, but there's no special gangster heaven. And forever is eternal life with Jesus Christ. All right? Now, can I help you with something? If I don't know what happened in your past with your children. I don't even know why you're in this workshop. But can I help you? You can't change your past. You can't change your past. You can cry. You can rehearse it all you want. Made, made, I made this. If I wouldn't have done this, my kid would be this, this, and this. Oh, you can kick yourself. You can punch yourself in the mirror. You can drown yourself in Hennessy. You can do whatever you want to do, but you still cannot go into the past and change it. What you can do is spend time in the word like we're doing today and look at what you can do today and in the future. Now, that's what you can do. All right, so our point before we leave this place, the goal is that you would do what? This is take it home point. What is it? Oops. Oh, yeah, it's in the handouts. Yes, you have handouts. Do you want to bring it up on the screen again? Thanks. I, I don't even know your name. He's our AV tech, and he's been on point. So thank you, brother. But what's our take-it-home point? Godly men. This conference is about being godly men, right? Right. And so, and this whole passage, this thing is children who believe. So what you going to do with believing children? You know, you raise them to come to the, come to the Lord. They're little kids. They gave their hearts to Jesus. What are you going to do with your believing children, man? You anchor them in the word of God. Do not allow the culture to dictate how you raise your children. Don't get stuck. And don't violate Romans 12 and 2. You know, Romans 12 and 2 says, right? 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not allow the culture to press you into the mold where we are emasculating men, the fathers. We got the soccer mom. She dominates the home. She makes all the decisions. She drives the SUV. She's the one that speaks into the son's life. She tells him whatever he needs to know. And after that game, no matter how much he, oh, come on, baby. This is the coddle culture. This is the coddle culture. And we allow the soccer mom to, to, to really dummy down our boys and dummy down the men. Our culture is dummying down men. Want to have a weak man. And so we got the, you know, woman king. And there's a lot of history there. I don't, I don't refute the history. I'm not refuting all the history. But it, it flows into a whole doctrine in the culture that we dummy down men and make matriarchy the dominant place for women and ruling communities and ruling the country and ruling the culture. And then we're in a culture where you can make up your own rules. Yeah. <laughs> Establish truth. No, no, no. God didn't say that. No, no. If I want two plus two to equal six, then it does. Because I feel two plus two equals six. And my friend said it equals six. And since my friend said it, and because I feel good about it, it's six. So we reject established truth. And if people in this country could kick God out the country, God would be kicked out of this country. But because he's omnipresent and he's omniscient, he has all the power. He can't be kicked out of anywhere. All right. You can deny him all you want to, but he's sitting right there looking at you saying, you know, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Hmm. All right. And so, you know, we we cannot follow the culture as we are raising children, as we are anchoring children in the word of God. Well, you have to let your child make their own decision and explore for themselves and 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 find out, you know, what they can do and what they like. And, and they should be able to go into what they like. If they don't want to go to church, they shouldn't have to go. You shouldn't force them to go. What kind of stuff is that? That's the culture. And you cannot allow the culture to dictate how you anchor your children in the word. And that's what we're about today. We're anchoring children in believing children in the word of God. So here's some scriptures that support it because and we have scriptures that really support men being heavily involved in their children's lives, especially sons. So when we get to the Deuteronomy passage, what if, now the first group didn't do it. But I'm expecting you, since you've already been warmed up in your first seminar, I'm expecting you to raise your hand and say, Pastor, why is it important for fathers to put so much emphasis on sons? Mm -hmm. I want you to raise your hand when we get to Deuteronomy, okay? Amen. And ask that question. All right. Now, so, if any man is above reproach, so these are foundational scriptures, the husband of one wife having children who believe. So, who's it? It's referring to a man here. It's not a woman, it's a man. And a man has one wife, children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. So it sets the tone for what God wants the children to look like. <laughs> They're not out there painting the town, tearing up the town. 
they're respectful. So when you as the father say, you know, uh, we're going to do this. I'm not going to do that. The picture is, even if they don't want to do it, and they might even push back, they do it. Because they respect you as the father, as the man, as the leader in the home. Did you know children push back? Well, I don't want to go. <laughs> How many of y'all know that? I'm just trying to help. I'm trying to be real. So I, I don't Look, I preach in prison. I believe in being real. And in the church, we got too much faking and shaking and all these fake scenarios on what the family really looks like and all these fake dads playing like their children are perfect and it's just they ones that forced their daughter to get an abortion because they didn't want to be embarrassed as a leader in the church. Don't you know that over 50% of the abortions are done by people who claim to go to church? Look at Gutmacher's report. You Google Gutmacher and look at who's having abortions. The people who are out there making all the noise Blocking the abortion clinic doors, we're pushing our daughters and allowing our daughters to have these abortions. And we're not intervening on our own behalf. We need to deal with men in the church. Bro, you need to have sex with your wife, your one wife. And if your one wife gets pregnant, you need to step up and say, baby, Children are a blessing from the Lord. Hallelujah. I'll be right there and we're going to raise this baby. And if we did that in the church, guess what? We will eliminate over half a million abortions in this country just by us doing right and doing right by our daughters and our women. Y'all looking at me funny. It's all right. So he manages his own household well, keeping his children under control. That's not beating them into submission. You earn respect. You don't demand respect, especially with your sons. Because you know what? Your sons grow up and they get strong, and they might have the ability to beat you up. <laughs> we have children who've killed their parents and who abused their parents. So don't, 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 don't play that. Boy, don't raise up. You 65 years old, you just got your knee replaced, and you're going to raise up on your 25-year-old bodybuilding son, man, don't be raising The only reason he doesn't smash you is because he respects you. Are y'all walking with me today? All right, all right. And so having your children under control means they respect you as a father, and they they have dignity. They have a good reputation because of how you've raised them. Okay? Doesn't mean they're perfect. I don't know. You, I see some of you emerging adults in the house and welcome, welcome, welcome. You know I love you. You know that. But now y'all close your ears right now. How many of you uh, more senior people have perfect children? Okay, so... Children, young people make mistakes, and guess what? The secret be told you do too. So it's the reputation, not perfection, where they don't make any mistakes. But respect for God. Now let's deal with this passage. Do you know this is one of the most comprehensive parenting passages in the Bible? 
Deuteronomy 6, it is foundational for parenting. And we just run through this passage like it doesn't exist. But let's mess with it a little bit, all right? Okay, let's read the first part. What does it say? The statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. Don't breathe. All right, so, 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 do you get a picture here already? You see a little picture here? You know you cannot anchor your sons and your daughters to the word of God if you're not anchored. That's right, sir. <laughs> if you're not, if you don't obey God's word, if you don't take God's commandments and apply them to your life, how are you going to teach them to your children, your son and your grandson? How are you going to have your days prolonged in the culture, in the community in which you live if you have no rules? The society, the culture doesn't want you to have rules. But God, oh, sorry. God pulled Israel out of 400 years of slavery. They were in Egyptian slavery. And what did they see during those 400 years? Pharaoh thought he was God. They had the sun God. They had the moon God. They had a God for everything. The fertility God. The harvest God. They had a God for everything. And none of those gods delivered them. None of those gods kept them from oppression. And God sent Moses down there and told Pharaoh, you let my people go. And Pharaoh was hard-headed. God said, I'm going to harden his heart because I'm going to have a show-off with Pharaoh. Pharaoh is not God. I am God. That's what that was about. I'm going to let the world know. And guess what? Egypt hasn't been the same since, since God faced off with Pharaoh. And so God delivered Israel from Egyptian slavery with an outstretched arm and a powerful hand. And God destroyed the most powerful army in the world at that time, the Egyptian military. And he got them out there around Mount Sinai in suzerain treaty format and said, look, I'm the one who delivered you out of Egypt. And there's some new rules. I am your God and I have some new rules for you to live by. All them gods in Egypt, you better not for one second worship them. I have a zero tolerance for idol worship. And you better not make any. You see, God laid out the Ten Commandments as the general structure for how Israel was to live. Gave them rules to live by. Don't you know if you don't have any rules, you're going to tear up the community? If you can do anything you want to do, and that's how most of us are. We're so right. selfish, and so it's all about us. So if we don't have any rules, we'll just deteriorate and tear up the community. That's what happens. And God said, here are the rules, and this is how I want you to live before me. Now, God told Moses, now you give the people these commandments. And Moses said, these are the commandments that God told me to give you so we can have longevity, so that we can have a meaningful life as a nation. You know, God picked Israel 
You know why God picked Israel? To be a blessing to all the other nations. It wasn't that they're so special. It wasn't that God wanted to, you know, hold them close to the vest and, and nobody else get the treatment they get. No, 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 no. It was about God using Israel to be a blessing to all the other nations because God said, Abraham, through your seed, I'm going to bless all the nations. God wanted to use Israel to lead the other nations to him. That's what this all. That's what this is all about. Now they acted up, of course, and now the church is the one doing that. And Israel got to come through the church. Now God still has a plan for Israel. Israel's gonna get saved. They're gonna bow down. But right now, everybody got to come through the church. Okay, our children have to come through the church. And so we have these commandments. Now watch this thing. Verse three. Oh Israel, you shall what? Listen and be careful to do it. Do what? These commandments, these laws, obey. That it may but what? Be well with you, that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, hath promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. That's what I just tell our kids. Now look, if you if you do right, you'll be blessed. If you act up, you're getting a whooping. Now, I'm going to talk about spankings later. How many of you spanked your child before? How many of you are scared to spank your child? All right, good. We're going to talk about that because some of y'all didn't raise your hand, but you are afraid because of your professions and you don't want to lose your teachership, your police officership, your whatever positions you're in. You don't want to lose those. Social worker, doctor, mandatory reporting position. Let's work on that later. So um, now we get to the Shema now. And, and let's see what they're supposed to hear. Hear what? O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Why is that important? Because they came out of Egypt without a mighty God. <laughs> I am your God. And he says it more than once. All right. Now let's keep going. You shall what? Oh, let's read that again. Let's read it like I'll be like the old preacher. Let's read it like we mean it. <laughs> Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Stop. So loving God, being in a love relationship with the living God is foundational for the people of God. And that doesn't change. We get to the New Testament and Jesus answers that profound question. Oh, well, teacher, you know, what's the most important law? You know, we got 300 and something laws. You know, we argue what's the most important one. And Jesus used the Shema. This is foundational to our love relationship with God. And we must model this. Why is the heart highlighted? Why is the heart highlighted? You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, your soul, your strength. Why is the heart highlighted here? Because people like us like to compartmentalize. 
We have the intellectual side of our relationship with God, and that's what counts. This knowledge that we keep building up. I know all the doctrines. I know everything about the Bible. I read the Bible once a year, and I have all this knowledge of God. And God is like, I want more than that from you. I want your heart. I want an emotional connection with you. I want you to feel something when you talk about me, when you sing about me, when you think about me. I want an emotional connection with you, and I want you to have one with me. How many of y'all are married? All right. How many of you all in here who are not married, you have a girlfriend? All right. All right. Do you feel anything when you see her? Do you, when you look at her, do you feel something? When you hold her hand, do you feel a little electricity? You should tell her sometime, you know, you hold her hand. Oh, I felt something. It will just help her. It will just bless her. Like, you want to make some points? Do that. All right? And so, and so that's the emotional connection. That's the emo- God wants us to feel him. And in our Western civilization, we have downplayed emotions. Oh, that's just too much emotion. Oh, that's not necessary in the church. They, why are they singing like that? It needs to be somber. Jesus loves the little children. Why can't we do it with heart? Why can't we feel that? Why can't you express emotion? God created emotion and gave you emotions. The greatest emotion displayed in the world is God's love towards you. He has care and concern for you. So much so he sent his only son. Now you tell me that's not an emotional connection. You tell me that's not care and concern. And so God wants us to have that with him. You have to have a connection with the living God before you can begin to anchor your children in the word of God. You have to model this. You have to have a connection. You have to obey God. You have to have God's word. You need to model what it looks like. You know, Maxwell made this very popular, John Maxwell. Your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. In other words, talk is cheap. None of this, you do as I say and not as I do. That's no, 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 no. That's not what this is talking about. They need to know what it's like to see you cry over your sin. See you show emotion when you pray to God. You might drop a tear or two when you pray to God. And your child needs to see that. When you hold your child's hand or some young man's hand, they need to feel you squeeze their hand when you talk about Jesus. And when you talk about Jesus, they need to know you love Jesus. They need to see what it looks like. Now that that is established, now we get into the details of parenting. Now this is how you do it. All right. This is what I want you to do. Now, this is how you do it. Let's look. How do we do this? Uh, verse 7 starts off with what? What is that key word there? That's a key word in this. All right. Uh, yes. Okay. Now, let's do some hermeneutics. This is going to be fun. Okay. What's the most important word in the first most important word in verse 7? 
you. What's the second most important word in verse 7? Shall. What's the third most important word in verse 7? Teach. All right. Every single word is very important in verse 7. You, not the nanny, not the teacher, not the pastor, not the Sunday school teacher. You, daddy, this is what you do. You show what? Oh, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought the hand that rocked the cradle rules the world. So here's a command, and you know he's talking to these men. There's some women in the crowd, but men get commanded to be involved in the children's life around the teaching of the children. You shall teach them half-heartedly. No, 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 no. Like the old people say, no, you better have a little oomph in that. It's called diligence. It's where you are intentional and you are on the case. You're not just half thinking maybe once a week. No, no, no. This is regular. And, and we know it's regular because it says what? You shall diligently teach to your, come on, let's go, your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down. And when you rise up. <laughs> so there's four settings here. <laughs> it is like, yeah, you, you just, you're just pounding them over the head with the word of God. That's not what this is saying. There are creative ways to transmit God's word into your children's lives. And I promise you, if you're living it, it's easier to transmit it. And they'll receive it a whole lot better if they see it operational in your life. But when you're kicking it in the house, <laughs> you don't have to pull out the Bible. What's your name? Isaiah, come here. Get your Bible and come in here. I want you to open your Bible up. I want you to go to Thessalonians. We're going to read this passage. It says, in all things give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Look around this house. Aren't you thankful? Say you're thankful, Isaac. <laughs> Do you say Isaac or Isaiah? Isaiah. Isaac, okay. All right. Huh? Isaiah. Isaiah, you said Isaiah. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, and so it's not really like that, but it's, man. Aren't you thankful we have a roof over our head? And after all that rain, you might want to point that out. We've taken kids on trips to downtown Skid Row so they can understand how blessed they really are in the midst of all the complaining about what they don't have. I don't have the latest iPhone. Do you have an iPhone? Why don't you thank God you have an iPhone? Let's thank God for this iPhone. Okay. All right. And so it's that kind of thing when they sit down. They, you ever pray over your children? You know, they grow. One of my sons told me, Dad, you don't have to read to me anymore. I know how to read. I said, really? <laughs> <laughs> kind of hurt my feelings. You know? Now I want to read the three bears. You like it? <laughs> you know, I like to read little portions of scripture, right? Yeah, I can read by myself now. All right. But I still pray over your room and I pray over you. 
whether you're in that room or not, I pray. I come home late at night sometimes and I just pray over these kids' rooms. I pray over them. My wife and I, we pray for them every day. All right? That they will be a praise in the land. No matter what they're doing right now, God, we're going to stay on this wall and we're going to pray for them until they become a praise in the land where they will influence others for good, for your glory, no matter what they're doing in life. So you teach them, and so you're getting the word in them. It's easier to do this when they're children, to get the word of God in them and telling them stories and helping them relate to the stories in the word of God. You know, it helps them to remember principles from God's word. Most of God's word is narrative. And tell those stories to them. Tell those stories. Them old people had it right. You tell them stories about David and Goliath. And then you break it down. You know, you might have some hard things to face in life. But if you'll trust God, he'll take down the Goliaths in your life. You break it down like that for them, okay? And you, you give them the word of God. Give them the word of God, especially as children. In different settings, give them the word of God. Let them go to, you bring them to Bible study. You bring them to vacation Bible study. You bring them to Sunday Bible study. We used to call it Sunday school. We call it Sunday Bible study. Now you can change the name so grown people will come. And so, you know, you get them in those settings where they're in um, age-appropriate teaching where teachers have expertise in teaching a five- and six-year-old. Get them in those settings so they can learn the Word of God. And then you reinforce, hey, baby, what did you learn today? Really? How exciting is that? Reinforce the fact that they recalled something, they remembered something. Okay, now, 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 when you make a goal, you do a plan to accomplish the goal, right? And then you're supposed to put that somewhere where you can review it, you can see it on a regular basis, you know? All right, uh, to, and you see that plan through. You work the plan, you develop a plan, work the plan, and you accomplish goals. Isn't that right? Yeah. Well, guess what? That's right here. People think they got all that stuff on their own. There's this consultant, he, you know, big PhD consultant said, you know, you write it down and, and you put it where you can remember it. That is right here in Deuteronomy chapter 6. What are you paying somebody $50,000 for to give you that information? And it's in your book. They got it from your book. Look at it. Look at it. Verse 8, what does it say? Bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So you are to put the word of God in places that remind them. And the Jews would do something like this. You put it on their hands so they remember how to do the works of God with their hand. Put it on their head so they think about God and think about the works of God. Put it on the doorpost so when they come in and leave, they think about God. So you can write your child a little prayer and put it on their mirror. You paid for the mirror. Don't put that on my mirror. I paid for the mirror. <laughs> you know, I'm an older parent. <laughs> so I don't have all this ego that I would have if I was a younger parent. So I'm trying to help you younger parents. You got to drop your ego. You don't get humorous with these kids, all right? And speak into their lives. You know, don't try to, man, I, I'm the man of this house. Everybody, if you have to say you're the man of the house, you're not the man of the house. All right? You earn respect. It's the way you move. It's the way you talk. It's the way you handle things. 
they will know that you are the man of the house. All right. And so you put little notes around the house. You can put scriptures in the kitchen, in the bathrooms and wherever, you know, so that they're reminded. Put a Bible in their room. Put it on a pillow one night. Put it under the pillow and they ask you, well, why did you put it under my pillow? Because I just wanted it to, you know, mysteriously come into your brain. That's why it's under your pillow. <laughs> just, you know, just have fun with them and do things that help them laugh and, and help them realize that it's not all serious and somber. Serving the Lord has some joy attached to it. We actually have fun as Christians. Yeah. I may not be in the ball hall club on Saturday night, but I can go to the skating rink. There's a lot of fun things I can do. All right. I like to, you know, you can go to the snow slopes. I'm not a skier, but you can go. There's a lot of fun things you can do and create those spaces so that you don't feel like every time you see your child, you have to bombard them with the word. You know, I was at that conversation, they said, I need to, I need to, you know, anchor my child in the word of God. Every chance I get, I need to throw the word at them. And so as you look at, we're going to come back to spanking, but I want you to see this right here. All right. This whole thing of teaching children, it's a lifetime of organic encounters. It's just natural teaching moments. You have to beat them over the head with the Bible every time you see them. But Bible principles, you know, those of us who are in these boards and you're in the, in the state and in these governmental agencies and, you know, you got to do the, I don't do the pronouns. I will not do the, I refuse to do the pronouns, my preferred pronoun. Well, you introduce yourself and give your preferred pronoun. My name is Brian Kennedy. I serve at Mount Zion Church of Ontario. I'm honored to be here. I am not giving a preferred pronoun. If you look at me, you kind of know that I'm a man. <laughs> and in education, you refer to a man as a he or a him. Okay? All right. And so, and so you, there are organic ways to drop the word of God into your children. Let's say you take them hiking to the snow. Oh, baby, look at these majestic mountains. You know God created these mountains. Now, depending on the age, if they're little children, then you review Genesis. You know, God spoke and these mountains came into being. God created the heavens and the earth. Everything that's created, God created it. All the, the solar system and Mars and the sun and the moon. God created all of that. Did you know that? <clears throat> yeah, Daddy, I know that. Isn't that exciting? Look at the mountains that God created, baby. Yeah. So when they're young, they're really excited about that, right? That's cool stuff. Now they get a little grown. They know everything. How many of y'all got some kids that know more than you and everybody else in the world? Okay. All right. They're just absolutely brilliant. And they are smart. Don't, 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 don't deny it. They are smart. They know more than you know. All right? These kids are smart. And so, and so, well, I'm, you know, I've been rethinking uh, creation. And I, you know, I'm thinking about, uh, you know, some of these theories of millions of, maybe the earth is millions and millions of years old, millions and millions of years old, millions of years, maybe. And I've just been rethinking that. And I said, really? You've been rethinking that? Well, well, um, 
Yeah, I took a class in college, and they've been, you know, doubting the creation story. And, well, you know, there's only three choices. There's creationism, and there's evolution, and there's mythology. And don't nobody believe mythology is how we got here. That's just absurd. That's just cartoon stuff. They, that stuff is made up. It's all about idol gods. That's all mythology is. It's a life of idol gods over there in Greece. All right? Nobody believes that. So you really only have two choices. Either God did it or it's random. Now, you're thinking about the random part, aren't you? Yeah, I've been rethinking it. I said, uh-huh. And so, so there's this, this cause that caused everything to happen, right? Yeah, well, they say it's like a bang or explosion. All these gases exploded, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, these amoebas and life forms started to evolve. And over the years, there's all this evolution. Oh, yeah, okay, all right, I get that. All right, all right. But can I, can I ask you a question? What was the first cause? What caused the explosion to explode? Well, what caused the cause that caused the explosion to explode? Well, what caused the cause, the cause that caused the explosion to and so there's an infinite number of first causes. Can we agree on that? Well, yeah, 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 yeah. There's, we don't know what the first, 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 real first was. I do, I have an answer. I have an answer. God got out in front of all the first causes and stood up and said, let there be. And it's not random. It's creative. It's intelligent design. Will you just look at yourself? You are quite well made by an intelligent design. And so you have those kind of conversations with them. All right. And you might even say a lot of the scientists have walked away from evolution because of that first cause. They are not acknowledging God but they realize that there is something beyond that explosion. You see, so you got to have those kind of conversations, which means you got to read a little bit about stuff. All right? And so after a sports event, you know, they're all down, and, you know, we live in a performance-oriented society. Well, we lost, and, and I, really, I didn't know I was in team. <laughs> I thought it was a team effort. And so, you know, in life, you're going to win sometimes, you're going to lose sometimes. And what organized sports really helps people with is how to win and lose. How to be humble when you win and how to be encouraged when you lose. How do you pick it up and go back to the next game? And you leave the game you lost behind and you go to the next game and give your best. Those are the things you teach your children. Baby, you didn't lose the game because you, you missed the last fly ball. You know, there were eight other innings. <laughs> and, and it's a team effort. No one lose the game alone. And uh, life teaches you about winning and losing. You feel kind of bad, huh? Yeah, I know. It doesn't feel good to lose. But you know how you can feel good about winning all the time? It's your life, getting victory in life, getting victory over pornography, getting the victory over lust, getting the victory over lying, 
cheating, stealing, getting the victory over gossip, getting the victory over thinking you're better than others, getting the victory over this thing called racism, this thing called colorism, getting the victory over those things. Helping somebody on your job because you have influence. You're young. You have influence. You know, these, these youngsters believe they love this term influencer. They want to be an influencer. I said, you're already an influencer. See, it's these kind of organic moments where you teach your child. Well, the Bible says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. God put a call on your life. God called you to make disciples. God said that he created you in Christ Jesus for good works with God which God preordained before the foundation of the world. God created you to make a difference in the world. And in fact, what you do is going to be seen by men. And if you do it right, people will give glory to God. They're already influencers for God. You're ambassadors for Christ. <laughs> you represent on earth. You're the highest representative of the living God on the planet. What do you mean you're not an influencer yet? Yes, you are. Now go out and influence. Well, how do I do that? Tell your friend about how you came to know Jesus. What was your life like before Christ? How you became, how you came to know Christ? Changes since you've known Christ. Well, nobody does that, Dad. Well, yes, they do. How do you think you came to know Jesus? Somebody does that. <laughs> You know, and you're responsible. What kind of friend of you are you if you let your friend die and bust hell wide open when you know you're going to heaven? You cool. You got the peace of God. And you're not going to tell your friend. What kind of friend are you? So it's having those kind of organic moments. They don't come every single day, but when they come, you need to be on it. Calm. So, oh, I'm just so glad to have a conversation with you. You haven't spoken to me for a week. No, 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 no. Come to it calm. You know how kids are? They go quiet on you. They go, how many of y'all got a kid that's gone silent on you? Gone silent on you. Y'all can play like they don't. But you keep living. They will go silent on you. And so you, they come. They want to have a conversation. Listen to them. Allow them to speak. Give them a voice. And attach their emotions to their experience. That's what happened to you at work? Wow. I'm sorry to hear that. Well, tell me more. How did you deal with that? How are you feeling about going back? Have conversation. Let them express themselves. And while you do it, you got to weave in biblical principles. All right? You know, God has given you value. Your identity is in Jesus. It's not in your title. Teach your children identity. Jim Conway taught us this in pastoral counsel. And if you don't teach your children these things, they will struggle in life. They need to know who they are in Christ. That's identity. That's John 1 and 12. But as many as received him. To them, he gave them privilege, the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. They need to know who they are. You're a child of God. You ain't killing T-Dog and Maniac. No. You're not the senior VP. I mean, you might have that title, but that's not who you are. You're a child of God. Teach them that. Teach your child 
about the importance of their self-esteem in Christ. Okay? This whole idea that they're secure and they're significant. See, identity and security, they go along with each other, okay? So I'm going to come back and distinguish. Well, let's do this interdependence, then we'll come back. All right, interdependence, they need to know, you can believe and trust me, and I believe and trust you. I need you and you need me. Interdependence. That's Romans, you know, the body of Christ being interdependent, and we are members of one another, Romans 12, like 5. And then intimacy. That's where we know how to give love and receive love. You got to know how to receive love from your wife and from others. That's care and concern. I'm not talking about sex relations, care and concern. And you got to know how to give that to others. Okay. And I said, okay, well, did Jesus do that? Well, sister girl walked in there and put that expensive oil on his head, anointed his head before his death. Another sister girl went there, put all that expensive oil on, her, on his feet, wiped his feet with her hair. Are you kidding me? These women, Mary Martha loved to host Jesus and feed him. He allowed other people to show him care and concern. And he obviously did as well. He showed care and concern. Okay. Significance is knowing who you are, knowing that um, you are loved unconditionally just the way you are. You do not have to rise up to somebody else's standard. You are loved unconditionally because you're God's child. It's because of your identity. It's because of who you are in Christ. You are loved. That's your significance, just the way you are. And you know the mean girls, and you got to talk to your daughters about the mean girls. I set these girls at the church down. I bring them over, and I talk to them about the mean girls. Well, if you change, we don't like you. And it, it just it, it dashes them. It, it, it breaks their heart. Well, if you change your hair, maybe we'll like you tomorrow. She changes their hair. She comes back. Well, you change your hair, but we still don't like you. They're just mean. And you better talk to your daughters about these mean girls so that they can know that they're loved and accepted. And these, these our, our women catch it hard. We don't really realize it. You put all these skinny models on the, on the magazine covers and, and all these expectations, these crazy fat diets because they're, they're trying to make our women look like these models and have these supermodel bodies and, and they've had surgeries and stuff. And our wives are trying to do all that kind of stuff, hoping that we'll love them. So you got to have a beautiful body and you got to have all this surgery and you got to have all this makeup in order for me to love you. Are you kidding me? God loves you. Just the way you are. You better get that straight. And then significance. Knowing that you're valued. You have value. Just the way you are. Because who you are in Christ. That's that. We're his workmanship. That's that Ephesians 2.10. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God preordained that we shall walk in them. That's that. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, O God, and my soul knows it well. That's that Psalm 139 passage. To boost their self-esteem and help them to know their value. And, and God is not this mean God with a big stick and every time you make a mistake, he's going to whack you on the head. That's not the picture of the God we serve. The Bible in Psalm 139 says this. 
the good thoughts that I have towards you are like the sand of the sea. God has good thoughts towards you. What are you talking about? People might talk trash and make you feel bad, but that's not God's story. He loves you so much and he's given you value and you have a job to do. You see, these are the kinds of things we have to teach our children from the word of God. We have to anchor them in the word of God. And I leave you some notes. Um, and here's a lot of stuff. You know, um, uh, be responsible stewards with money. Um, honor and care for your parents. Be an influencer. Be honest. Be generous. Idleness, oversleeping. And you avoid that. You can't just sleep in all day. What are you talking about? There's, I got banker's hours. You got banker's hours. You don't even have a job. <laughs> so you got to help them with this stuff. Talk is cheap, so live out your faith. Seek God's wisdom. Enjoy sweet sleep. Dude, you cannot sleep with your phone with 24-hour feed. You need to put that phone somewhere else so you can go into the fourth stage of sleep and your body and your brain can shut down and you can recover, you can rejuvenate. Let's shut it down. I know you like your cell phone, but you're not married to your cell phone. You need to let cell phone go for a minute or two while you sleep, please. All right, so you can get some real sleep. Um, and then seek God's wisdom. Knowledge is power. That didn't come from some business consultant. That came out of Proverbs. <laughs> I double dog there, somebody to read it. Just really quick. I know we have to hurry. But look at it real quick. 24 verse, Proverbs 24, verse 5. Somebody look it up really fast. And I promise you, this knowledge is power statement came from God's word. Hurry up. Someone look it up real quick. Who has it? Proverbs 24, verse 5. Yes, Proverbs 24. All right. So, yeah, you're in Psalms. That's Psalms. But okay. So, knowledge is power. Let me read it for you in the uh, New American Standard because I love it. A wise man is strong and a man of knowledge increases power. There it is. <laughs> All right, so these kind of things you got to show your kids in the Bible so they don't give the culture and the atmosphere. You know, I'm in the atmosphere, and, um, you know, I'm getting my knowledge from the atmosphere. I have a spirit guy. You better talk to your children. All right, and, and so stop stressing and trust. They stress. Boy, this is a stressed-out generation. Uh, think positive. God is not done with you. Bad company corrupts you. You belong to Jesus. Choose a spiritually compatible spouse. Choose spiritually compatible BFFs, your best friends forever. They need to be spiritually compatible with you. And the list goes on. These are the things that you pour into your children a little bit at a time. You cannot just have one sit down and straight your child out. This is a lifetime commitment in teaching your children. Any questions? I was supposed to have Q&A, but it's a lot of information to give to you. Any questions? Any questions? Spanking the children was the question that we needed to address. In California, it is not illegal. It is not illegal. It is not illegal to speak your spank your child in California. 
It is illegal to abuse your child. All right, so you call your local police. I called up on PD. Well, ma'am, can I spank my child? I didn't tell him I was about to choke him out. Because all that stuff is recorded, so you better not say anything crazy on the police line. All right, and so so um, I, I talked to him, and, and and one of my daughters was at the school talking to a counselor and said, yeah, my dad spanks us. So you know the social worker, the mandatory reporting, police came to the house, separate the family. This is an investigation. They're going to take somebody to jail if they can on this and make an example. And it's like, and if you're fearful, you'll fall into that trap. So, and homeboys, there's two here. There's one here and one over here going like this. Look, man, everything's cool here. You're welcome in this home. Because he's posturing. He don't know me. You don't have to pull your gun out, officer. You don't have to be afraid. I'm cool. Listen, I'm calm. Come on, let's have a conversation. Well, did you spank your Yes, I spanked my child. Well, can you show me what you spanked your child with? This is police certified, by the way. And so, but don't get anything much bigger than this. All right. And so, the police, okay, well, tell me how you spanked them. Now, you can't do this. I was here and I spanked them. Where did you spank them? On the rear end. On the rear end. You better not leave any marks either, by the way. All right, and so I spanked my child on the rear end. Police are cool. You know, the police told me after church one Sunday, Pastor, thank you. Because we're dealing with these kids who don't have no boundaries out here. They don't believe that there's any consequences for their wrong. And we have to deal with all that. Thank you. Social worker, well, Pastor, you're going to get these people put in jail. No, I'm not, because it's not illegal to spank your child. And we better spank when they do something that's worthy of a spanking, something out way out of the boundaries. You better spank them and let them know there are consequences when you break the rules. And you can't do time out every time. You can't just set them in the corner. Trust me, we got 1.9 million prisoners in America because some people have got time out all their life. They never had any boundaries. There were never any rules. And so now you're 18 and 21, you're going to the penitentiary. Nobody held you accountable coming up. They put you in the corner. They told you you're in trouble. They wrote a note. They gave you a little, you know, time in the classroom at the school. But nobody really held you accountable. You threatened the parents and told them if they spank you, you're going to call the police. You call the police on your parents. And so they don't want to lose their job as teachers and stuff. So they don't spank you and you get away with it over and over and over. That's why you're in the penitentiary. Because you don't believe anybody has to hold you account. Anyone can hold you accountable. You better spank that child. And, and, and I give you some scriptures to support it. All right. Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with the rod, he won't die. You ain't killing him. These few little swats. You can use the open hand on the rear end. You can use a belt. One, two, three. Now, didn't, now don't do the slave-up whoopings like our parents did. Y'all, how many of y'all know what a slave-up whooping is? That's when mom said, oh, you know, I'm going to get you. But she don't do nothing. I'm going to get you. She don't do anything. But when you do something really crazy, you get the whooping for that. Didn't I tell you that I was going to get you for what you did three weeks ago? And didn't I tell you I was going to? That's a save-up whooping. You can't do save-up whoopings. <laughs> you spanked them for what they did at the moment, in the moment. And hold them accountable for that. And you love them, but don't tell them what your parents, you know this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Are you kidding me? 
<laughs> don't say that to your kids. All right. And so, but you, you love them. You say, now I'm doing this because you, you have to be held accountable. Right? And this is not appropriate behavior. So here's that's a lot of stuff. I wanted to make sure, just gave you some really cool stuff to help you parent. Anchor your children, your believing children, in the word of God. Father, thank you for our time. Thank you for these men and what these men are about and, and how they're going to take uh, principles from this conference and, 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 and just make you smile real big because you love when your children honor you. You love it so much. And uh, we want to make you smile. We want your hand of favor to be upon our lives. Remember the children involved in our lives, in our home and outside our home. And God, give us your wisdom, your knowledge, and your understanding and raising these children in a way that's pleasing to you. And God, make them a praise in the land. In the name of Jesus, amen.